delighted to have Rob Jennings join me for this latest episode of The Right Angle today. Rob is the co-founder of the Dyscalculia Network and together with Catherine Edel, they have both created a destination for those students looking for help and advice on all aspects of maths difficulties. With so much to talk about, let me first introduce Rob. So Rob, thank you so much for taking time um, in your diary, putting some time aside to raise some awareness of this ongoing theme around maths difficulties. It really, really is a pleasure to have you as my guest today. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm really excited. Um, I'm a big fan of these podcasts. I uh, listened to Nicola's one talking about addressing the gaps. So yeah, I'm really, really stoked. Yeah, she's incredible, isn't she? I keep wanting to talk more to her, but I think there's so much more we need to cover. And she's a very busy lady. She's she's just incredible, very inspirational. Um, yeah. So as you'll probably know, and many of the listeners have got an idea of icebreakers. I love an icebreaker. And I often just ask the staff in my local coffee shop every now and then for something a little bit different. And in recent episodes, there seems to be a theme of food. Uh, Ems was talking about chocolate for algebra um, Dr. Anne-Marie was talking about how um, their program is around menus and light bites and things like that. So I thought, oh, we definitely have to bring food into it again. So yeah. my question to you, that classic one, actually, I'd like to know your ultimate dinner party list. You can have anyone you want, but if you was to have one mathematician, one famous mathematician, influential scientist person, who would it be? And of course, why would you have them around your table? Okay, this is this is quite a funny question actually. Two two reasons. Uh, first of all, when we're teaching uh, initially fractions, we use Kit Kats, and so it's a really nice way of dividing the Kit Kats up into quarters. So there's a little tip there. But this this is quite a funny question because I became a special education needs teacher due to my uh, son's having uh, dyslexia, and uh, this week he's now at university doing a maths degree. And I was chatting to him this weekend about who, I, who, who we should invite. He told me that as a guest, it has to be one of those wonderful early Greek scholars like Pythagoras or Archimedes, because they've done so much for maths. But for me, my greatest inspiration is Johnny Ball. He really inspired my early love of maths with his TV shows in the 80s, shows my age. There's a great workshop from 2014 called Teenage Maths for Life, which is highly recommended from Johnny. So um, that, that would be my guest. That is so interesting. You would always expect people to come up with those classics, wouldn't you? Like yeah. you said, your son saying, oh, Pythagoras would be really cool. Or, but yeah, Johnny Ball. What a, and also entertaining. He would be so, so, so to have round that table, wouldn't he? So um, to start our conversation today, of course, people will see the content of, of what we're talking about and, of course, know of your work. But I think these, the, this conversation, this theme is really, really close to my heart. And, and I just think it's so important to have you, the expert in the field, to offer the people listening today just that definitive description about what dyscalculia is. Um, so I know that we've had some you know, chats before before recording this episode about non-specialist teachers. There's a lot of timetable filling and capacity issues. So yeah. we might have some early career teachers that are just starting their their journey through through education and a mass education. 
uh, and listening to this today. Um, and of course, some parents, I'd be really, really delighted to hear that parents are listening to this and, you know, just engaging as they as we seem to have seen through the pandemic, more parents becoming more involved in in their children's education, because obviously they they had to, they became the teachers, yeah. they got thrown right in. Um, so, Rob, quite simply, what is it? Well, uh, dyscalculia is defined as a specific and persistent difficulty in understanding numbers. But it's not as not always as clear cut as that, because it should really be seen as the one end of a spectrum of mass difficulties. It doesn't sit alone. And uh, uh, a child could be anywhere on that spectrum. And it's not age specific and affects all abilities. I guess the one way to uh, define dyscalculia or math difficulties is to look at the, a long list of indicators, such as unable to determine the relative size of numbers. Uh, a lot of dyscalculic children can't understand which one is bigger, three or five. They're kind of alien foreign language terms that don't really mean anything to them. Uh, another indicator is the persistent counting in ones. This is due primarily to a lack of calculation strategies. And if they have a simple calculation to perform like three plus two, they will count one, two, three, and then two more, four and five, without sort of any sort of technique or ability to recognize what the numbers actually mean. They also would exhibit weak reasoning and an inability to see number relationships. This is where number bonds come in. Uh, the difficulty of remembering number bonds would, uh, would be one of the key indicators here. But also things like doubling, you know, where they might understand that 2 plus 2 is 4, but not able to see 12 plus 2 is equal to 14. They are also uh, known to reverse digits. A lot of the digits uh, are often reversed. There is also uh, an indicator is something called uh, the inability to subitize. Subitize is recognizing small groups of counters, say four or five, uh, without actually counting them. They would, if you give them uh, the pattern in front of you, they would use their finger and count up one, two, three, four, five. There's also lots of errors, uh, such as writing numbers, where 14 is recorded as 41. It's another common indicator. Um, dyscalculia can occur singly on its own, but often co-occurs with other specific learning difficulties. So there's no kind of one set pattern, but the indicators are a really good way of sort of identifying that individual, that child who uh, warrants further investigation. Do you know, I've been frantically writing notes <laughs> as you've been speaking because it's so, so interesting to see or, or even to hear you talk about that spectrum idea. And yeah. I was just thinking, you know, I've taught in, in a variety of schools before before joining Pearson and I, I've taught, you know, really trying to motivate our low ability learners or those yeah. students that really struggle to engage right the way through to a selective grammar school where they've always thrived, you know, not, not many problems have, have arisen when they're dealing with new information. But there are pockets there when I think, oh yeah, that spectrum thing does work. And even re relating to myself, I've often said to students that I've taught, oh, the geometry thing, 
that's not my thing. I can't see it the way that you would or or, you know, that I just I'm not that good. But that may be my positioning on that spectrum of, of you know, the difficulties of, of, of numbers. It's so incredible to hear the co-occurrence as well with other um, educational needs, be it dyslexia or dyspraxic, um, th those sorts of um, issues as well. Yeah. And I know it's really important for both of us. We've said before, we're both really, really passionate about raising awareness of, you know, the, the struggles that many people face with dealing with this. And you mentioned earlier about your son and, and dyslexia. So can you tell us about the the avenue, the journey? How did your son's difficulties, what were you doing before? Um, how, how did you how did you get to giving birth to the Dyscalculia Network? Well, I'm, I'm relatively new to teaching before this kind of uh, career change, if you like. I was uh, a graphic designer. So uh, when my son was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia, uh, my view on special needs was, well, he has to work harder and perhaps longer. Uh, but in fact, he already was. He's working twice as hard and twice as long just to keep up. And so it really had a profound effect on me. And I was fortunate to be given the opportunity for training with Jane Emerson. So um, I was fortunate to have Jane to help me and she provided me with the training and, and uh, help in sort of moving on to sort of getting qualified and becoming the specialist that I am. Um, so I, after about five years of teaching in uh, a number of different establishments, uh, I soon come to, came to realise that um, there's an awful lot of good dyslexic teachers out there and there's a lot of awareness of dyslexia. But it's not so in the math side. There's ha hardly any specialists around the country. It's really unusual to find one who specialises in maths. It's easy. A lot of people are doing the qualifications and are fully trained and specialised in dyslexia and do a bit of maths on the side. What we're kind of advocating is to change that completely so you specialize completely and train completely and become a math specialist because there's just not enough of those people around there's also a huge lack of awareness dyscalculia and a general we talked about this before there's a general acceptance that it's okay not to be any good at maths you know don't worry son at your age i was never any good at maths either well, that's really not acceptable and it would never be said, oh, I don't read, therefore that's okay either. So we have to change, we have to increase awareness of dyscalculia, but also we're changing people's attitudes towards this. Um, so I, I met Kat uh, a couple of years ago in Oxford. She was giving a presentation to uh, a number of teachers. Uh, she runs this thing called the Little Maths Room, which is a helping support maths difficulties in her local area. Uh, she was trained by Dorian Yeo, who's a famous maths specialist, uh, who was based in Emerson House, actually. And uh, we realised that we had the same ideas and views on maths difficulties and decided to form the Dyscalculia Network. Uh, the network's a non-for-profit organisation, uh, community interest company, and it's our Cat and I's opportunity to give something back, you know, to promote awareness of this issue, uh, to help develop more specialist teachers, and also to develop a go-to place where people, 
parents, teachers can go to to get advice and recommendations. That's a, such an incredible summary and just all credit to you as well and just you know and, and credit to your son like now studying a maths degree like but yeah, there must be something in the genes somewhere. <laughs> But just, just incredible, the fact that he also, you know, that you recognise and so many teachers and parents alike will recognise that those students um, or learners that present with those characteristics and you think, oh, OK, maybe he's just got to work a little bit harder, as you say, but they are already working so hard to yeah. try and understand everything around. My brother was diagnosed with dyslexia. It took quite a while for the diagnosis to come along. Yeah. Um, and it just opened up a lot more support for him once that, you know, that almost that rubber stamp was given and been like, yes, all these tests have shown X, Y and Z. So just to tap into the the support, everything out there, you know, hopefully teachers, uh, teaching assistants, support workers, parents that are starting to think, oh, my son, my daughter, oh, that's that child in, in class four or something they're presenting with these um, characteristics um, what can they do what can these parents or, or teachers do listening to this they might be writing notes or, or think yeah. they're, they're going to google something after how can we give them some info and some guidance um, to help support not only at home but in school as well okay well, let's start with from so in the classroom the best thing a teacher can do is to be on the lookout for these maths indicators that we listed before. There's a whole list of these indicators and we can share this list with you, you guys and, and it's up on our website. But early indication, sorry, early intervention helps improve the chances of a successful teaching of maths for that pupil. So um, once the uh, indication has been seen, then what they need to do is to have a full maths assessment by a specialist maths teacher. Um, these assessments are slightly different uh, from what an ed psych, educational psychologist would do. And it's also different from the mainstream maths tests, which tends to test on slightly higher levels. A full maths assessment should include an indication of strengths and weaknesses of the individual, so that the, it's a real diagnostic type testing that's needed to see, to plan uh, the intervention programme, the teaching intervention programme at the specific level where things are going wrong. So typically, uh, this would be at the foundation level of maths. So irrespective of their age, we might need to peel right back and work on things like number bonds, components of numbers, to give them and then add strategies in place to help them sort of overcome some of the maths issues. Um, in the classroom, teachers can possibly uh, adjust their approach so that when they're teaching new topics, it needs to be done in a much more slow manner with lots of opportunity for revision and repetition. They may not get it the first time, they may not get it the third time, but if they're given opportunities to redo stuff and question things, it's much more effective on learning new topics. Um, when, when we're teaching topics as a whole, try to break the individual topics down into smaller chunks with little breaks in between. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to sort of not become overwhelmed by a topic. Some of the maths topics are quite huge and 
you know, they require a lot of kind of uh, different areas of the topic, like fractions and stuff. So if you were able to break it down into smaller chunks, it's much more effective. I think also one of the key areas of, for any teacher teaching maths is to plan on success. So we always need to start with um, questions which are, can be achieved so that that success will build lots of confidence so that when you move on to the next level of the topic, uh, they're already feeling okay and they're willing to give it a go. The last thing we want to do is to sort of create barriers as we're teaching a certain topic. Um, a scaffolding, I mean, most sort of special needs teachers will be doing this anyway, but to provide an outline of the lesson so that if a child is slow at following uh, how the lesson's progressing, they can look at their headings and see where they are so they don't get lost halfway through a lesson and then completely ignore the rest of what's being taught. So a nice little scaffolding, lots of colours, make it really visual and they can see how they're doing and how each topic's being moved along. Um, we we'll also recommend using multi-sensory approach, uh, lots of materials to sort of see how things work. You know, for example, in Fraction Tower, work quite effective because you can see they're looking at equivalent fractions. I can prove that two quarters is exactly the same as one half. So that's using concrete materials, showing what it means. And you can all, you're also using those towels, you can create other equivalent fractions with different denominators. Um, I suppose overall it's going to create more work, but it's going to achieve more success in the long run. Yeah, do you know there are so many, so many things there that I'm you know, frantically nodding away, which is irrelevant on a podcast because people can't see us nodding away and agreeing with each other on these things. Uh, along with Kate Williams, uh, one of our credible specialists.
in order to learn and help to visualize things which they need to learn, which helps them to progress faster with a greater understanding. But like I said before, we try to make maps fun, lots of games, builds up their uh, enthusiasm and confidence in maps. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a specialist centre that can adopt those strategies just because the students um, you know, are, are presenting difficulties around their literacy and maths. It doesn't mean that that's, that works for those, those types of students completely and we can't adopt those strategies. I think the, the way that you've explained that scaffolding, the Jenga tower, that's, that should be how it is for everybody um, because you're right, that, that tower is going to be wobbly if you haven't got the foundations. Um, and I think yeah, learning visually and, and reasoning, as you said, you know, having an idea of what that answer is. I was just looking through the examiner's feedback on the recent um, November GCSE papers and, and still there were comments from the examining um, professionals around just the answer. They're not, they're not considering that the answer would make sense. You know, like a gas bill question, for example, and, and they might have calculated that a monthly gas bill is £35,000. Well, the way that the things are going at the moment, that could be a possibility. But, you know, in the real world, they're just they're plugging numbers. They're doing it by rote because they think that's the method and not looking at the reasonability of their answer at the end and thinking, does that seem right? Is yeah. that normal? Would I expect to pay £35,000 a month to heat my house or something? Yeah. Um, so you're right. And I think having that reasoning and, and building upon it, as you said earlier, breaking those bigger topics down into the small steps and also reframing even within within the house. I found so many times that the way that I was trying to explain things to students, I'd reframe it, reposition it. And I could still see some students very blank thinking, mm -mm, don't know what you've got, don't know what you're talking about. So I'd open it up to the room and say, can someone else try and explain? Does, does some, do you get what I'm saying? How about you try explaining? And then they go, oh, I get it now. Um, so that might even work at home when you've got maybe an older sibling or, or a cousin or a neighbour or someone. You think, could you explain this? Because it, it's not working. But just that idea of reframing, the openness around the conversations. And actually, it's OK to struggle. It's OK to ask for help and having that team effort. Um, towards towards the ultimate outcome of just feeling successful and enjoying the subject. Yeah. Um, I can't believe we seem to have covered so much. If anyone could see my notes right now, they'd be very impressed. It's just just so much to take in. And I will make sure that we share the link to Emerson House and, and the Dyscalculia Network website so people can have a look at those you know the training opportunities the resources and of course to to get in touch if if they're concerned or they just want some additional advice and if there are any few further questions or whatever please get in touch with us either through the website or through our social media um, i just also like to mention before we finish is we've established a uh, mass anxiety awareness day which is going to be november the 10th every year uh, to raise public awareness and uh, we'll be having a uh, hopefully face-to-face -face, uh, presentation conference day on that day in November. But we're also, what we're, what we're doing as well with SEM Books is to provide a one-stop shop for all of the mass manipulatives so that all of the 
ones that we use and are, are really useful and helpful, uh, we can give the link soon to the teachers and parents alike so you can get all of the stuff you need for to help with maths at this one one shot. So at the moment we're all, all over the place, including Absolutely. Yeah, that would be really, really helpful. And the, I can't wait for the Maths Anxiety Day. I've written that down. That's going in my diary now. Thank you. Set a reminder like I do to remember my mum's birthday every year. <laughs> so thank you for sharing your, your time with me today. And we, we know that this is going to be so valuable to so many. Um, and I think they're just going to really appreciate that. OK, thank you. So to all of our listeners uh, listening in today, thank you to listening to our conversation. And until the next episode of The Right Angle, please do take very, very good care of yourselves.